am the light of the world. He says, I am the living water. He is not the broken cistern that runs dry. We can come to him and be filled and satisfy our thirst and our needs. He says, I am the bread of life. So we come to him. We know that only through him is our satisfaction. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. A couple of announcements, and then we'll have the prayer time. First off, next Sunday, are you paying attention? Next Sunday, uh, we're uh, giving out Bibles to the first graders. That's always a lot of fun. We're always looking for a reason to celebrate second graders, Bibles to second graders. So we are going to do a potluck afterwards. It's going to be a soup and sandwich potluck. Um, the church will provide the soup, but you're responsible for the sandwich, all right? So if you and your family want to eat a sandwich, bring your own, and uh, then we're going to um, have uh, soup and sandwiches afterwards. So, next Sunday. Um, uh, the gathering place, uh, we're still looking for a few people to help with meals for our, our Wednesday night. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the hallway. Please check that out. Uh, we're continuing to look for a custodian. As we mentioned earlier, um, Pat, after 30 years of service, is um, retiring at the end of this calendar year. And so we're looking for, for someone to fill that role. So if you're interested or if you know of someone that's interested, uh, please let us know. And um, she has blessed us uh, for a long time in that way. And um, Yeah, so it's going to be hard to, hard to fill. Um, uh, I believe this is in the bulletin as well, too. There's a concert coming up out at the Christian Resource Center in Giltner uh, that looks uh, pretty neat. Uh, I would encourage you to, to check that out. Um, meetings, uh, leadership team tonight at 6.30, I believe the plan is, and then team leaders uh, tomorrow night at 6.30 here at the church. And also the office will be closed this week, Thursday to Friday. Uh, Joni's gone, and... Um, I have some meetings. Uh, one of the ways that I serve and volunteer is that um, I serve on our, our national USMB board, and that was something that the church blessed me to do, and so I'll be gone on Thursday and Friday for some meetings for that. So I'm going to call up Joe, and, and uh, we're going to do kind of some neat thing over the, the MCC um, school kits. Uh, one other thing, this is a little bit just kind of looking um, a little bit long-term, but just keep in the back of your mind the possibility of maybe uh, doing some kind of uh, work trip, mission trip to some of the places that were hit by the hurricane. Uh, and um, so January, February, we've just had kind of a few initial conversations that would maybe be a good time to send a team down. And if you guys want to go to Texas, if you, you guys want to go to Florida, if you want to go to the Caribbean islands, like I'm cool with any of them, 
and um, all those places are, are going to need a lot of work for a long time. But uh, just kind of pencil that in for, for January, February. Okay, I'm going to have the kids come up and help me. We're going to pray over our school kids. So if you are um, ages two to all the way through high school, because these kits go to all ages of kids. So come on up. We're just going to hold them, and we're going to pray over them today. So come on up. Grab a couple from the front pew. Jean sewed all the bags, and there's some really fun colors of bags in here. So grab one or two. And then my Sunday school class is actually going to come share a little bit about the bags. So Kate, come on up. And Julia. Oh, and Nelda did too. Thank you. They are really cool. Cool bags. All right. Okay. Let's have Kate come over here. You guys can just stand over there. All right. Okay, you want to come over here? Kate, you're going to read this here. You're going to read this, okay? We're going to just tell a few things about the bags, okay? So, and Jada's going to tell us what's in them. All right, go ahead. Notebooks and pencils are treasures for families who struggled to provide basic school supplies. So a lot of these go to places where there's been a, a devastation, like floods or hurricanes or even war-torn countries, or even just families who haven't been able to... Okay, come on up, Julia haven't been able to provide for their families. Okay, Julie, you're going to read this one for me. School kits often are requested after disasters to help things return to normal to children whose families have to been forced to flee their homes. Thank you. And Landon, how many kits have been given out over the past year? Last year, 70... 7,600 school kits were shipped to countries all over the world. 70,600 kits. So this is just a small part of them. We did about 40. They put these together during the service Sunday. And so we thank all the kids and families who helped with that and to all of you that brought supplies too. So we're going to just pray for those that Jesus would um, just meet those kids wherever they're at. Okay, so let's um, pray over have a time of prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have blessed us with that we get to share with other people. We pray that these kits, as they go into hands of kids all over the world, that you would meet their needs, that you would bless them, that um, in some small way that your word would be spread, that your love, your life, and, and the light that you offer would be um, just spoken over these kids as they receive these kits. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks. Okay, you guys can just put it down. I forgot you. We were going to tell what was in them. Do you want to go ahead and say some things that are in there? Sorry, just freeze a second. Okay, you want to tell us what's in, in there? Four notebooks and one eraser and eight pencils and one ruler. One more 
12 color pencils. There's some good thinking in having all the kits standardized because then when you hand them out to the kids, right, there's no, oh, he got the soccer ball and I got the, what, you know, and that kind of thing, right? And so there's uh, kind of a bit of um, yeah, just equality that happens there. It's pretty neat. Um, as we get ready to, to enter into a, a time of prayer, um, we also want to uh, pray for Olivia Shepherd. Um, some of you may know Zach and, Han- uh, Zach and Hannah. Uh, their daughter, Olivia, went in for surgery this last week. They discovered a mass kind of at the base of her skull, right close to her brainstem. And uh, so on Thursday, she went in for surgery. And, um, yeah, in, in Children's Hospital at Omaha. And uh, But the surgeons were, um, it looks like they got it all, and they, they did a follow-up scan on kind of her brain and her spine, and there's no more signs of, of other growth. So that's... That's really good. Um, that's kind of the best case scenario. So um, from my understanding with, with the conversation with them, um, Olivia won't need any kind of chemo or radiation uh, as a result of this. But, you know, she still needs just to recover from, uh, from surgery. And anytime you have to hand off your crying daughter to a nurse so that people you don't know can perform surgery on her, um, that's, that's a rough moment right there. And um, so we want to be, we want to keep them in our prayers. And very much a praise item, but there's, um, yeah, just surgery, recovery, and, and coming back home. And we're actually going to, we'll be in communication with, um, uh, with them and then also with uh, another church um, where her um, sister is at. And maybe we can, you know, be providing some meals or child care or that kind of thing. So we'll be, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. want to continue, of course, to pray for Mark. Uh, his ongoing cancer treatment, and uh, Tiffany as well, too, as she continues on. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, um, we are very thankful for the gift of life. God, we are thankful for this bountiful country that we live in. Um, a safe neighborhood, community to be a part of. God, most of all, we are thankful for you, that you offer us restored relationship with you. God, there's um, people amongst us who are suffering physically. Pray for Tiffany. Pray for Mark. Pray for Olivia. Ask for your health, your healing, your restoration over them, Lord. Lord, many of us know other people that haven't been named this morning who are suffering. We pray for them. Lord, we also pray for for people who suffer in in other ways. The, the, The physical is often the easiest to diagnose. Lord, many of us know people who are suffering... Uh, emotionally, spiritually, maybe even a mental illness of some kind. God, we, we pray for them, for their health and their healing and their restoration. Lord, in many ways we come to you broken and hurting. 
so we just say, Lord, we need you. Pray for our children. Pray for our spouses. Pray for our parents. This morning, we just want to say thank you for all that you have done for us. God, as we prepare to open up scriptures again and to learn from your word, I pray that it's by your spirit that we understand the incredible relevance that your word has in our lives. It is timeless. And it continually speaks to where we are at today and what we will face come Monday. Lord, as we also gather for communion later on, we simply pray, thy will be done. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Ushers. Whenever I'm praying, I'm always feeling the edge of the stage with my toe, and I'm terrified that one of these days I'm just going to go straight over. Because today I was like, that's further back than I thought it was. I crept forward a bit. so Or I could start praying with my eyes open. That might not be such a bad idea either. But worse things have happened. Actually, that would be pretty bad, though. <laughs> All right. 
Did you know, did you know that for a hundred bucks you can start a Christian school complete with facility and gymnasium? I mean, maybe I should add the caveat that if God is involved. But for a hundred bucks you can start a Christian school, have a building, get accredited, and, ha- and have a gymnasium. So in, uh, I think it was 83, uh, my folks who were living in Huron, South Dakota. Um, Dad had been pastor there at the Methodist Church for quite some time. Then he took a job at Dakota Wesleyan University, uh, started off as director of something, and then quickly got promoted to, to vice president of institutional advancement, you know, heady stuff. So basically he was their fundraiser and, and alumni relations and all that other kind of stuff. Um, the market for houses, houses are selling really slowly in Huron. It's, it's about uh, 55 miles between the two, so he's just driving back and forth every day, right? Kind of like people do to Lincoln. And um, so they're trying to figure out moving. Uh, I was in kindergarten at the time. And uh, mom makes the comment, well, we're not moving if there's not a Christian school. And I was like, oh, um, okay, we'll look into that. So, and I'm moving through this story really fast. Um, but so he starts looking around uh, in Mitchell. I mean, there were, there were a couple of Catholic schools, but they were uh, wanting, you know, kind of more of a Protestant deal and looked all around and just it's not, it's not finding something. And so dad's kind of a little frustrated and trying to figure out what to do because he knows mom's pretty serious about this. So he calls up one of his buddies, a guy by the name of Carl Rittenauer, who, is, who heads up uh, another place called Sunshine Bible Academy. And, you know, he's got his, like, whole long sob story kind of all planned out and what should I do and kind of lay it all out for Carl and that kind of thing. And he's, like, two minutes into the conversation, and Carl just goes, well, you should just start one. And Dad's like, you know, and kind of mumbles out some reasons why that's a horrible idea, and then he hangs up. And for like the next five minutes, he's just going through all the reasons why this is a bad idea and where you find a building and where do you find students and how do you even get accredited and how does this even all work and where do you find teachers and does the community even want one, right? And so like, he, like, he's like there's just a lot of reasons why this is a really dumb idea. And, he, and then he, he just knew. He, it was just one of the deepest moments that, that he has ever had, that God was calling him to be involved in starting a Christian school. And so how do you, and this is like pre-Google, right? Like, we take that for granted, you know, because you can just Google that nowadays. You know, back then, it was really not an option. So he pulls out the yellow pages, and he just starts calling through all the churches. And he's like, hey, you want to start a Christian school? And most of them were like, uh, No. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were polite about it and probably used some Christianese, but basically it was like, no. Uh, all except for two guys. There, there, were, there were two other gentlemen who said, yep, we're in. Let's do this. And so they started meeting, and the family started meeting, and just talking and praying. And in the, in the process, in this whole long process, uh, you know, at one point they opened their little checking account, and someone to put like 100 bucks in it. So you have to file all these papers to even, like, not even accredit it, just, I don't know, become a nonprofit and that kind of thing. So this one guy files all the papers and that kind of thing, costs him 50 bucks, okay? So things are still moving along, and, and they're meeting. They still don't have staff. They don't have building. They have nothing. 
they're gonna they, they had kind of like a banquet, some kind of banquet that, that they were kind of kind of celebrate and promo this and that kind of thing. But it's kind of awkward to have a banquet when you're like, we have nothing, just an idea. Well, like five hours or so before the banquet, the one guy calls up my dad and says, I got an option. Meet me at this address. And they had been looking everywhere. They had looked at doing church basements. They had like just nothing, 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 nothing. They go to this building. It's this rundown thing. Some farmer in another town bought it as an investment properties. The renters bailed, moved out. It's sitting there. It's empty. It's dirty, yada, yada. So they walk through it. And one of the guys is like, this could work. This could work. Like, we could do this here, and we could do... And just every time they walked through it, it just kind of kept growing. Like, this could work. This could work. But they don't know this guy. Like, how much is he going to want? Like, apparently, he was he wanted to sell it. He didn't want to rent it. That kind of thing. So a couple of people go off in the other room to call this guy up, explain the whole situation. They come back, and he sa- and they say, yeah, he, he, he'll give it to... Like, you know, he's going to retain ownership, but he doesn't want any rent. We can use it for free, and we can rent it all we want, and all these other things. And actually, over the next, like, ten years, only my dad and one other guy ever met this guy. Like, he was a farmer in some other town, like West River, and they went out to visit him once, and he never collected a dime off of it. I don't even know if he ever came out to the school, was just glad to do this, and he had things worrying about, and so... That was fine. But they still didn't have a gymnasium or a place to, you know, to do all these activities, that kind of thing. And someone said, and City Hall was kitty-cornered, just right across. Well, they've got a, a gymnasium. Let's go ask them about it. So they go over, and and they're, they're collecting, you know, would it work? And they're like, yeah, no one uses it during the day. It only gets used on the weekend and all these other kind of conversations. How much would it, would it cost? And Dad understands them to say $50 an hour to use it. And he's frustrated because that's expensive and it's 1983 and that wasn't, you know, other people use it for lesser rates. And No, no. No, it was $50 a year to use this gymnasium uh, pretty much whenever they want, like on a daily basis. And, um, and there are dozens and dozens of stories that, that, that play out um, after that. That it, Dad actually wrote kind of a, a little book, kind of some memoirs on it that, that's actually fascinating. Today, the school is thriving. I want to say they have over 200 students. They just built a new facility, like maybe in the last 10, 15 years. It's gorgeous. I think they are debt-free. Um, they have a fantastic relationship with the public school there in town. Um, just great cooperation between them. Like, it is, it is remarkable. Um, but in those early days, uh, it cost them 100 bucks to get this thing up and running. We're going through Nehemiah. Today we're going to kind of skim over the first chapter. And it's been fascinating to, to look at this and see and also reflect back on those early days in Mitchell Christian School and just see the parallels um, between how a vision is born, how God works, um, internal struggles, external struggles, um, and just the course uh, of the whole thing. It, it's fascinating. So today we are going to go over that in, uh, in Nehemiah 1. We're going to see how that original vision uh, was first really kind of birthed in Nehemiah. Then we're going to do communion. Um, we're going to offer to pray for, for each of you again. And so I'm going, to be kind of, I'm going to try to be quick on this so that we have enough time to do communion. It, just, it takes a little bit of time for everyone but to pray for everyone, but that's something that we love. So 
uh, just kind of a heads up, we're going to offer to pray for each of you. So some more, uh, some more instructions on that later on. Nehemiah. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn here. Just a quick review on, on, on kind of what's happening here in Nehemiah. Okay, now remember we have the nation of Israel. They're under the leadership of Saul. They're under the, the leadership of David. They're under the leadership of Solomon. After Solomon dies, the country splits. Okay, this is about 950 B.C. The northern ten tribes split off. They maintain the name Israel. The southern two tribes split off. They adopt the name Judah. Jerusalem is geographically in those southern two tribes. Um, so we've got the, these, these two different nations now that split. The northern nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes, around 722, 721, the Assyrians move in and conquer them. There's a whole list of like so-and-so conquered, so-and-so conquered. It's alphabetical. Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, all right? So we start off with the Assyrians. They come in. They, they conquer the northern tribe. Then the Babylonians rise up. They conquer the Assyrians. And then they conquer the southern tribe, the southern two um, uh, tribes, or the southern country of Judah, around 586. They destroy the temple. And in both cases, lots of people are hauled off into captivity. Uh, the northern tribe, just they get hauled off, and they never really return to the homeland until... 1948, when Israel becomes a country again, all right? Southern tribe of Judah, they get hauled off. They are in captivity for 70 years. Then the Persians come to power, conquer the Babylonians, and they've got a totally different policy when it comes to, to conquered people. And they're like, hey, go home, worship your God. It's all good. So what that brings us to is Ezra and Nehemiah. Originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. It covers roughly a 100-year period. During that 100-year period, period, we're going to see three waves of, of people and events moving back to Jerusalem. So um, uh, the first one is led by Zerubbabel. Uh, that's the first part of Ezra. We're looking at 537, 536. He's going to lead over 40,000 people. He's going to take them back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. That temple is going to get remodeled a couple times and eventually becomes the temple that Jesus operates in and, and around. That's, that's the temple that Jesus um, knows and experiences. Uh, about 60, 70 years later, Ezra is going to bring a second wave of, of exiles, bringing them back into uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Ezra is going to preach the word. He's going to get the temple up and running again. He's going to kind of reestablish the priesthood. And, and he teaches the law. And so he does some, some great stuff really getting things rolling. Then about 13 years after Ezra, Nehemiah. That brings us to the first part of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to come back. And he's going to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And once again, this is the Jerusalem that, that Jesus is, is going to know. Um, once the wall is built... Malachi the prophet is going to come on the scene. He's going to give one last, hey people, get your act together, uh, speech, which we have recorded, the book of Nehemiah. And then God goes silent for 400 years until an angel appears to a virgin and says, behold, you will be with child and you shall call his name Jesus. So really this building of the wall is the last, one of the last things that's going to happen in the Old Testament um, timeline-wise. All right, early part of um, Nehemiah. So, um, the wall, at this point, the wall has been torn down for 140 years. So, I mean, we're just talking like rocks covered in like vines and trees and 
rubble and, I mean, just totally overgrown. Um, the year is currently around 444 B.C. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Shizlev in the 20th year. So we get a time reference there. As I was in Susa, the citadel. This is the winter capital. So King Artaxerxes is in the winter estate with his crew. Um, this place is like a thousand miles from Jerusalem. Giving kind of the travel rate of that day, if you booked it nonstop, you could do it in 45 days. Uh, if you figure stopping for supplies and the occasional broken wagon wheel, like it's about a two-month journey from Susa to Jerusalem. And there probably weren't a whole lot of people who just went straight from Jerusalem to Susa. I mean, and this is like, there's no telegraphs, there's no like Facebook live stream. Like, I don't even know if they have carrier pigeon people, right? So like, news is hard to come by. Probably your best bet of news was, oh yeah, I passed through there a couple of years ago. This is what I saw, all right? So um, that's where he is at. Hananiah, one of my brothers. Um, Hananiah is a good guy. We see him mentioned in chapter 7. The man loves Jesus, follows Jesus. I guess pre-incarnate Jesus. They didn't know about Jesus back then. Follows God. Um, came with certain men from Judah. I asked them considering concerning the Jews who had escaped. So probably the exiles who had gone back in the first wave with Zerubbabel and then those that had gone back in the second wave with Ezra. Who had survived the exile and con concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. Um, one other thing. Um, this, this, well, let me just read the next verse. Verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The news of the broken down wall just, just destroys Nehemiah. And at first you would think, that's kind of an odd thing to get all worked up about, right? Like, I mean, the wall's been down for 140 years. It's not like this is a big surprise to him. Um... Like, why, and he sits down and he weeps, and like, kind of being a little bit dramatic here, aren't we? Uh, a couple things. One, later on, Nehemiah is going to say that he's cupbearer to the king. Okay, let me speak into that a little bit. The cupbearer to the king was not just like some sort of lowly servant. Um, back then, if you wanted to kill the king, one of the most common ways to do it was to poison him. So the cupbearer would taste all the food, sample all the food before the king ate it, so then that if you, like, just fell over dead, then the king would know, like, hey, like, don't eat the lima beans, you know? And, um, and, and so this was a, a position of high trust. There's actually another document that talks about the cupbearer. And in that document, written about the same time, it talks about the cupbearer actually having control over the king's signet ring, administration, and treasure. So, and I mean, we're, we're sort of making some assumptions that Nehemiah might have had a similar role. But, but if, if those things carry true for Nehemiah, not only did Nehemiah have a certain responsibility regarding the king's life, 
He also had a level of responsibility regarding the king's signature, because the signet ring was how you stamped it to prove that the king had said this. It was his signature. As administration, he would have had a certain level of control over orders that had been given, or just administration of, like, temple and palace affairs and that kind of thing. And also treasure, he would have had a certain level of control or influence over the money. So it's possible that Nehemiah had a very responsible role regarding the man's life, his signature, his orders, and his money. That's a lot. So this was a high trust position. Now don't assume, though, that these two men were buds. We know from other accounts that Artaxerxes was a horrible, cruel man, and like on a whim, you and your family are dead. Okay? So it's not like these guys went out for drinks after the day was done. Okay? Nehemiah was terrified of this man, rightfully so. You see that later on. Okay? He comes before the king just with terrifying. Because depending on what mood he's in, off with your head and you're done. Okay? That said, Nehemiah is continually operating at kind of that high... Like, like he is always amongst conversations that talk about national and international and, and what's happening. And so I think Nehemiah, more than a lot of people, would have understood the significance and the, the importance of a wall. Because not only did a wall provide safety for the people, but it actually provided stability for the entire region, right? I mean, Nehemiah is just inundated with kind of those high-level government discussions all the time. So in many ways, he understands the the significance of the wall. He enters into a time of prayer. This whole I'm not going to read it, but this whole next section is really just kind of a summary of his prayer. We know from the date stamps that, that he gave us that for four months, for four months, this man fasted, prayed, wept, mourned the wall. And at the beginning of the prayer, you see him just saying, God, please, be attentive to my prayer. Listen, O Lord. We're, we, we desperately need you. So he begins with just this cry, please listen. He then transitions into a time of confession and repentance. What's interesting about that is that not only does he confess his own sins, but he confesses and repents for the sins of his entire people group. Sins, honestly, that he probably individually didn't commit, but that his, his people had committed. And, and that, that serves an ex, as an example, but also should maybe terrify you and I just a wee bit. Scripture talks about God judging the nations, which might mean that he's just going to judge everybody from all the nations. It could also mean that each people group will receive a collective judgment for what they did and did not do. And the reason why I lean that direction is because you see that pattern in the Old Testament where God will take an entire people group and judge an entire people group all at once for what they collectively did and did not do. And then I look at our country and what we collectively do and do not do, and that makes me nervous. And we have a lot of collective repenting that we could do. Like, we could be here for hours, people. (laughs) So he enters into a time of confession and repentance, not just for himself, but for his entire, his entire nation. And then he just simply goes back to the words of God. 
And, and you could, it kind of sounds like he's reminding God of what he said, but yet we know that God knows what he said, so really he's just kind of reviewing what God said. But in his prayer, he says, Lord, you said if we'd misbehave, this would happen, but you also said that if we return to you, these things would happen. And so that, that's, what he, that's what he prays. He says, Lord, we, we recognize what you had said, but we also recognize the promises that you had said. And so in many ways, he's really just praying Scripture. He's praying God's Word in his prayers. We are screaming through this to get done in time. Last thing he does, he asks for favor with the king. This is fantastic. I think our tendency is to pray for miracles, but in a lot of situations, I think actually we should be praying for an opportunity. Nehemiah never prays for God to rebuild the wall. He prays for an opportunity that he would be able to go lead the rebuilding of the wall. Even in the story of Mitchell Christian School, Dad didn't pray that, well, someone should start a Christian school. He prayed an opportunity. He prayed for an opportunity to start a Christian school. If you have an unbelieving friend, stop just praying that they will be saved and start praying for an opportunity to speak to them about Christ. The world has lots of dreamers, right? People who just dream about things being a better place. What we need are more visionaries because a visionary envisions themselves being the one to make a difference. Nehemiah prayed for favor with the king. Somewhere in this four months, somewhere within chapter 1, we don't get a whole lot of detail on this part. I wish we got more on it. But in this first chapter, in these first four months, a vision is born in Nehemiah. Maybe it happened right away at the prayer time when, where he is just broken at hearing the news. Maybe it didn't happen until after four months. I'm not sure. But somewhere in that time, this just soul-burning vision is birthed in Nehemiah. And it, and, and, and it grows into this moral imperative where, where it's just from, you know, someone should do something about that to, I wonder if something could be done about that to, to something must be done about that to eventually, I must do something about that. Second Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. The eyes of God actively roam throughout the earth looking for people who have given their heart fully to the Lord so that he can come along and provide strong support to them. Isaiah 6, 8, very popular. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. When, 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 when Isaiah recounts, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, I don't think the Lord sat down in front of Isaiah, looked him in the face and said, Hmm, whom shall I send? Right? You more get the feeling that this conversation is happening in the heavenlies, and Isaiah is actually kind of in the corner, and he interrupts the conversation to say, I'm over here, would you please let me be the one to go? I believe God is constantly asking, who will step forward? He is, he is constantly looking 
for that for that heart that is fully surrendered to Him. And our, our world is ransacked by, by horrors and atrocities, and we've got enough brokenness at a regional level to keep us busy for decades. But if, but if you're looking for, for some, I mean, we also got them at the national, at the global, and uh, I mean, I told you earlier, I'm, I'm getting close to finishing this book on the Rwandan genocide. Like, it's just, don't read that book. <laughs> Children don't have parents. People go hungry. Broken men are creating broken homes. Education isn't available. The cycle of abuse is not stopping. Genocides happen, and people simply don't have a chance to hear the gospel, which is the one true thing that can actually change their lives, not only on earth, but for eternity. Pick one. We have plenty. Are you willing to say, here I am? Send me. Are you willing to volunteer for this kind of craziness? A little warning, God will never do something significant through you until he has a chance to do something significant in you. That's a very important part of this. In those four months, I believe that God did something very significant in Nehemiah. Because it's a pattern that you see time and time again in Scripture. Moses had to spend his 40 years in the desert. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert. Paul had this radical transformation experience. He even spent some time in the desert. It's like there's a lot of desert themes going on in Scripture. Um, the 12 disciples are skillfully taught by Jesus before he sends them out. For four months, God, I believe God worked in Nehemiah. So for the next 12 years, God could work through Nehemiah. And you have to be solid on your vision because the world is really hard on vision. You will stand up and say, I have a dream. And the rest of the world's going to say, sit down, we don't want to hear about it. We mature in preparation for the vision. What is your holy discontent? Is there an injustice happening in the world and it just, like, for you, it doesn't go away? It haunts you. It robs you of sleep. It burdens you. It brings tears to your eyes. You see it in the news. You hear it in the streets. It just seems to follow you wherever you go. For some people, it, it may be your immediate family. It may be your kids. It may be just like core nucleus family. For some people, it will be something happening overseas. But it's just it's that sliver in your mind that does not go away. Something wrong in this world that needs to be fixed. Moses had his holy discontent. discontent. So he stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. David has his holy discontent that this giant Goliath continues to slander the name of God that he loves. And so he goes up against him. Elijah has a holy discontent. So he goes up against 250 prophets on Mount Carmel. He wins, by the way. Paul has his holy discontent. At one point he says, I wish I was accursed so that all of my brethren could be saved. Meaning, if I could, curse me and save all of, all of my brothers and sisters. Even Jesus has a holy discontent. I mean, if ever there was a guy who should have just stayed put because it's better there. But Jesus has this holy burning discontent. And so he steps down out of glory. Because he so loves us that he refuses to sit idly by while you and I spend eternity away from him. We're going to transition into communion. Um, worship team, if you guys want to come forward. Um, uh, pastoral care team, if you guys want to get, get set up here. 
Uh, we practice open communion, meaning anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior is welcome to join us for communion. Uh, those of you with kids, your call on how you want to handle that. We're going to offer communion to, to anyone that, that comes forward, so that's, that's your decision. Um, for every person, every family that comes forward, we're going to ask, how may we pray for you? May we pray for you? You're welcome to decline and say, no, thank you. I'm just going to do communion. That, like, you're welcome to do that. I don't know why, though. I had a friend once say prayer is like candy for Christians. But, hey, you can do it. Um, but we are going to offer to pray for you. Do give us a little bit of space. Like, don't crowd around. Like, if we, if we want to pray privately for someone, like, you know, give us a little space to do that. This will take a little, a little bit of time, so don't, don't crowd the aisles. Um, we're going to have one table with men, one table with women, and one table that's a married couple. So take your pick. Uh, you can come as a family. You, you can come uh, individually. Um, we'll ask you for prayer. If you have something specific you want us to pray for, we'll pray into that. If you're not sure, we're just going to kind of go as the Spirit leads. <laughs> just pray. If you want prayer for healing, like physical healing or emotional healing or spiritual healing, that's cool. Bring that forward. Like, I'm not making promises, but I'll pray for your broken leg. I don't think anyone has a broken leg. I'd gladly pray for that because I'd love to see you just healed of that and not spend time in a cast. No one has broken bones. I don't even know why I said that. Um, if you're not sure, here's a couple options on how we can pray for you. One is just to simply present yourself fully to the Lord. Okay? Maybe you've never really done that. Maybe you just need to hit the reset button with God. So if you just want to go there and just say, I just, I, I just... I need to give myself fully to the Lord. I need to reset my relationship. Uh, we would love to pray into that. Or, if you don't have a burden or a vision, ask for one. Um, and we will gladly pray that, that God does that. That's another option. If you do have a burden or a vision, we'd love to pray that you have an opportunity to ask on that. So, just a, a couple ideas, if you're not sure what, what to pray for, uh, to Either one, just give yourself fully to the Lord. Two, ask for a vision. Or three, ask for an opportunity. Um, just a few ideas, but we will we'll, we'll follow your lead on how we can pray for you. Let's spend um, a moment in prayer. And um, then, really, um, you guys can... We're just going to have worship music rolling the whole time. And when you're ready, you can come to one of these, two table, one of these three tables. And uh, we'll do communion together. So, uh, and also Loretta will be roving, and so if it's hard for you to get up or move around, you can just flag her down, and we do, you know, in pew delivery service of communion. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I love the story of Nehemiah. I love how it applies to us today. I love seeing the parallels with how you work in it today. God, as we come together this afternoon to remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, Lord, we just want to say our life is yours. Here I am, send me. God, may this be a moment of gratitude. May this be a moment of joy. Lord, if it needs to be, may it be a moment of confession, of repentance. 
Maybe, maybe it just needs to be a reset button on our relationship with you. Maybe it's something broader. Lord, maybe here today a vision for that aligns with your heart is, is, is born here today, Lord. Lord, we ask for opportunity that we might be faithful in all that you called us to do. We love you, Jesus. Amen. When you're ready, you're free to head to one of the three tables. Oh,